We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Uh, but are thankful that we were able to spend some time with family when they needed us the most. Um, do you want to say thank you to uh, Cameron, Andrew, Doug, and the many volunteers that made Easter weekend possible last week and made it possible for us to be with family when they needed us. Um, and so would you just join me in a round of applause for our Easter volunteers last week? So, we are thankful for your service and I uh, did want to give a quick update. Uh, Miss Edith is doing much better. Thank you for those of you who were praying for her. So I know that while Brittany and I were having uh, our own traumatic, interesting week, uh, you all were as well. Um, and uh, God is good. So I um, uh, did want to give a quick update on our situation. Uh, my niece, Olivia, was born uh, not this Tuesday, but the previous Tuesday, uh, the one before Easter. And uh, so we headed down to Springfield, Missouri to uh, be there to see her and for what we thought was going to be a really quick trip, uh, just to see her and welcome her and uh, celebrate with our family. And over the next 24 hours after that, uh, she began to have some serious health concerns. Uh, she ended up having a brain bleed that caused her to have seizures and to stop breathing several times and was promptly transported to the NICU uh, and then had to be transported to the NICU in a different city. And so uh, because of all of you and because of how you care for uh, family as a church family, we were able to be with our loved ones when they needed us the most. And I don't know if they've got the picture of them, but if they do, I'll have them show it. No, they don't have it. But anyways, I'll post a picture on Facebook later uh, so you can see uh, that beautiful young family uh, that you were able to bless by allowing us to be with them. I uh, would ask that you continue to pray for them. Uh, Olivia is our niece, and Michael and Caitlin are her parents. Um, she uh, progressed in an amazing way uh, starting on Easter Sunday morning. Um, so we saw God do some really incredible things. Uh, she had a great couple days, and then uh, experienced some severe difficulties after that. And so I uh, would ask that you continue to be praying for them. They need your prayers, and we're so grateful. So. Uh, with that said, uh, we're glad to be back, and we are finishing up our Lord's Prayer series today called Pray Like This. So I would ask that you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verse 13 today, and as we do that, I want to just ask a question. How do you typically think about temptation and evil? What do those words make you think of? Typically, when we think about temptation, we think of, of some kind of uh, sexual temptation that leads people to engage in pornography or adultery, or maybe we think of uh, gambling and greed or something like that. Well, sometimes, you know, though temptation is all of those things, it can also be uh, circumstances. It can, it can be the, the illness of a loved one uh, that leaves you in a spot wondering what God is doing. It can be in financial difficulties and strains, uh, wondering, God, when are you going to provide what we need? 
It can be in the midst of the throes of depression and anxiety where you're constantly concerned about what's happening in your life and it drives you to be focused on what's happening to you instead of, what's, uh, instead of an upward focus on God and an outward focus on others. See, temptation can look like a lot of different things in life and sometimes we think about it too narrowly and we need God to lead us out of temptation, out of its power and its grip, and we also need him to deliver us from evil. And so when we think about evil, we are very quick to recognize that there is evil in the world around us. We think about the events in Sri Lanka last week on Easter Sunday, how churches were bombed and hotels were bombed and many lost loved ones and family members and friends. And we say, that's evil. We think about the racial tensions in our culture now and even some of our history, and we look at that and we say, that's evil. We think about the constant shootings and terrorist attacks and all these things that we see happening around us in the world, and we look at them all and we quickly recognize that was evil, that was wicked, that was awful. But we're not as quick to recognize the evil in us. See, we're quick to say that sex trafficking is evil to its core, but then we engage on a daily or weekly or monthly basis in pornography that makes it possible in a thriving industry. We're quick to say that racism is evil, but slow to look at our own pride and prejudice. We are quick to say that poverty is evil, but we are slow to give to eliminate it. You see, we have a very narrow view of temptation and evil, and temptation and evil are big parts of life in a Genesis 3 fallen world. And so this prayer that we're looking at today, the Lord's Prayer, how it ends when Jesus tells us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is very important for you and I today. It hits and it lands in our lives, in our world in our spiritual walk with God. And so we're gonna be looking at this one sentence today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And before we jump into uh, the, that two-part phrase, I, I just wanna talk about uh, what many of us uh, see as the common ending to the Lord's Prayer, that maybe is even in some of your translations where it says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen. We just sang that, right? But if you'll notice in some of your Bibles, especially in the ESV, you won't find those words there. The Lord's Prayer ends with verse 13, where Jesus says, deliver us from evil. And so we're left wondering, okay, what is the deal with this phrase that's in, in some versions, but not in others? Well, that phrase was the common ending that Christians in the early church would place at the end of the Lord's Prayer to kind of give it a, a bow, to tie it up. As they celebrated together in worship, as they prayed this prayer together, they would end it with that doxology, where they would praise God as the one who is worthy of power, glory, and honor, where they would end their prayer by saying, amen, let it be truly, truly, let this be. 
And so even though it wasn't in the original manuscript that Matthew wrote, it is still a helpful phrase for us to understand and to even pray and celebrate together in worship because Christians have been doing this since the early church. So even though it wasn't original to Matthew, the early church had this phrase as a part of its worship, and it's a good thing for us to use it in worship as well. So I wanted to just talk about that for just a moment so that those of you who are reading the ESV like I am or another translation that doesn't have it aren't freaking out about why there's a verse missing from your Bible because it's not missing. It just wasn't original to Matthew. It was a, a common uh, phrase in the early church they used in worship. So let's look at this phrase in verse 13. Jesus says, let's read the whole Lord's Prayer and we'll zone in on verse 13. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray quickly with me? God, let this be our prayer today. We pray that you would lead us and guide us away from temptation's grip on our lives. We pray that you would help us, and God, we pray that you would deliver us today. Deliver us from temptation, deliver us from evil. Help us to be able to walk in your grace. Help us to be able to follow after you, Jesus. In your mighty and awesome name we pray. Amen. All right, well, Jesus says uh, we ought to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but we have to ask, what does it mean to pray this? When Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, what does it mean to pray that? And there's three things I want you to, to notice about this first part of this verse. Uh, the first one is that we're not praying for God not to tempt us. Because God tempts no one. We read in James chapter one, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so what we're not praying is this idea that, that God, don't lead me into temptation, because God will never lead you into temptation. He doesn't tempt people with evil. But we're also not praying to avoid temptations and trials. God will sometimes allow us to enter into temptations and trials and environments where we might be tempted and tried in life, and he will use them for our good and our growth and our holiness. We see this in Jesus' own life in Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so while God does not tempt anyone with evil, sometimes he leads us through seasons and, and environments where we will experience temptation and trial. The Spirit of God led Jesus, the Son of God, into the wilderness where he would be tempted by the devil, where he would experience severe temptation, severe trial, and difficulty in life. And so it should be no surprise to us then if we're followers of Jesus Christ that sometimes in life we experience temptation and trial. See, the idea that God would never allow you to go through anything difficult in life because you know him is just not biblical. 
Jesus himself walked through difficulty, through trial, through temptation, and he told his followers to expect similar things as they follow after him. So when we're praying this prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we're not praying God don't tempt us because God doesn't tempt anyone with evil, and we're not praying to avoid temptations and trials because as James says, again, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know what that means? That means all kinds. That means all kinds of tests, of difficulties, of suffering, of pain, of trial and temptation, everything that is difficult in life. He says, count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, of any kind. So whatever you're going through in life right now is covered by the word of God in James chapter one when he says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet these various kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, trials produce steadfastness. They they cultivate this ability in us for us to trust God and rely upon him in deeper and more meaningful ways. If you look back on your life, uh, oftentimes what you notice is, is the times where you got to know God the best were not the easy times, were not the times where you just saw God's blessing all around you and you were aware of how blessed you were. It, were, it was the times where it was most difficult. It was the times where you walked through grief and loss. It was the times where you struggled through a battle with depression. The times where God met you in a place where you didn't know how you were going to move forward, but God did, and he led you through it. See, this is more what it means when we, when we pray, God, lead us not into temptation. It means to acknowledge what God can do in leading us through it and out of it. See, when we think about trials in our lives, we have to realize what James is telling us and realize that God is making you perfect and complete so that you lack nothing. When difficulties come in life, when you experience suffering and pain, it's not evidence of God's unfaithfulness to you. But in fact, God sometimes works in the most powerful ways in the midst of those moments. See, I don't know why my niece is in the NICU right now. I don't know why after she started to get better on Easter morning that she still experienced difficulty and and suffering later in the week. I don't know why a young family has to walk through this kind of pain and trial. But what I do know is that we can trust what James is saying because it's what God is saying. That we can trust that God is at work even in the midst of a trying and traumatic week like that or whatever you've been through this week, that God is able to produce a kind of steadfastness in your faith, that in those moments of trial, that in those moments of pain and suffering, he is still at work and he's bringing about something in you that completes you, that makes you perfect, that makes you able to rely upon him in deep and meaningful ways. So I don't know why you're experiencing financial difficulties right now. I don't know why your marriage is in shambles right now. I don't know why your friendships 
whether they be at work or elsewhere, are, are difficult and strenuous and stressful. I don't know why God has you where he has you right now. But what I do know is that he has you. What I do know is that he's still at work. What we can know together, church, is that God is producing a steadfastness in you and making sure that you have everything that you actually need. He's perfecting you, completing you, completing the good work that he's begun. And so what we're praying, friends, is we are praying that God would protect us from the power of temptation. We're not praying that God would keep us from it entirely. We're not praying that God wouldn't tempt us because God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. We are praying that God would protect us from the power or the rule or the dominion of temptation in our lives. That instead of sin reigning in our hearts and lives, that God would be the one who rules and reigns there. That God would be the one leading us and keeping us because sin and temptation want to rule over us. We read this in Genesis chapter 4 when God speaks to Cain. He says this, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The idea there is that someone is going to be in charge. Either sin is going to rule over Cain or, or Cain, by God's grace and his power, is going to rule over the sin in his life. And Paul talks about temptation this way in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Isn't that good news? That what you're walking through in life right now, that you're not alone in it. That whatever you're experiencing, whatever trial you're walking through, you're not the only one, even if it feels that way. That there is no temptation, that there is no trial, there is no test in life that is not common to man, that is not part of our experience living in a broken world underneath the redemptive rule and reign of a God who is able to lead us through it. There's no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Then listen to this last phrase here, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. See, see, God will provide the way of escape from temptations and trials that we experience in life that he allows us to walk through in life. And oftentimes what we miss is that he's actually training us to endure. He's bringing about that steadfastness that James talks about. That the way of escape often involves repentance, this, this turning from valuing and worshiping and desiring whatever it is that we have placed above God in our hearts and lives and a turning toward God and asking him and praying to him, God, lead me not into the power or the rule of temptation. Let it not be what rules over me in life. God, would you be my ruler? Would you be my king? Lead us not into temptation is a prayer for God to not allow us to be under the power, rule, and dominion of sin. 
but to lead us away from its rule and end his. So why do we need to pray this? If that's what we're praying, God, God lead me not into temptation in the sense that, that you, don't, you don't let me be under its grip and its power, that you, you deliver me from that, that you lead me through it and out of it. Why do we need to pray this? Well, the first reason is that temptation is a real and present part of your life. It is part of what we experience. And then we have to ask, what, what is temptation? Well, temptation is a trial or a test that's brought on by your own desires, circumstances, or the spiritual opposition of Satan and demons that seeks a sinful response for the purpose of destroying or distracting us from God's good purposes and plans. So, so that's what temptation is. It's an, it's an attempt to get you to live underneath the rule of sin in your life. It's an attempt to get you to live underneath some, something or someone else's leadership rather than God's. It's this attempt to get you to respond to trials and tests in a sinful way that, that seeks your destruction or distraction. See, sometimes I, I think the enemy is just content with distracting us, with distracting us from what God has called us to walk in. That he's, he's just as content with the person who is enslaved to an addiction as he is with the one who is prideful and misses the point in life. That he's just as content with distracting us from the Great Commission with things that we argue about in our relationships because we think that what's most important is our personal preferences rather than the mission of God. That we would value what something looks like more than what God is doing. See, temptation is always seeking your destruction or your distraction. But the good news is that God has the power to use even these trials and tests to strengthen our faith, bring us closer into relationship with him, and teach us to depend upon him in new ways in the midst of our weaknesses. See, sometimes we wonder why God doesn't just eliminate the temptation. And, and I, I'm reminded of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, where, where he has this thorn in his side that he says is a messenger from Satan, and he is praying repeatedly, God, would you, would you get this away from me? And God doesn't take it away. Do you ever feel like that in life? You're going through something and, and you keep praying, God, would you take this away? Would you just give me some relief? I think God's words to Paul in that moment are an encouragement to us as well because what he says to Paul is, no, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Which means that in that moment where you feel weakest, God is most strong. That God's power is greater than your weakness and greater than your temptation and trial. That we can rely upon God and trust in him and remain steadfast because of his grace towards us, which he promises is sufficient. So when you're going through it and you feel like you can't go on, 
God's word to you is my grace is sufficient for you. He hasn't left you because you're going through the muck and the mire. That he's in fact in you with it and ready to lead you through it however long that takes. He says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. See, as, as we look at what temptation is, we, we have to realize that temptation isn't just this, uh, this tempting towards, uh, towards pornography or gambling or, or some kind of addiction. The temptation can also mean a trial. It can mean something difficult that we walk through in life. We also have to realize that temptation is both internal and external. An internal temptation, we're talking about our desires. Here's what James says. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So your destruction. See, a lot of times sin is like an undiagnosed cancer. It's, it's silent, and it's silently killing you. You're unaware of it. You're unaware of the temptation in your life you, because the things that you're experiencing are actually the things that you want. That's how destructive and twisted this is. That, that sin can be like an undiagnosed cancer that is just silently killing us because we're unaware of the ways in which we're tempted and tried. Sometimes we're unaware of our temptations uh, and we, we want things that are, that are good like financial security. But we want it so much that, we, uh, that when we achieve it, we realize that we've, or we don't realize that we've become dependent upon our finances rather than upon our God. We want love and romance to such a degree that when we find it, we stop going to God for satisfaction and joy in life. We become distracted by good things. We want control of our own lives to the degree that we don't care what it does to our relationships. Sometimes we're unaware of the ways in which we're tempted, and and God, would you lead us in such a way that you would expose that in us? Because we need the Spirit to lead us and help us. We need him to expose the things in us that we are tempted towards, the things that we're tempted to replace God with in life. We're blinded by this silent killer that's sin because it's what we want. We need God to give us new desires and help us to see the desires that are for our destruction. Then we see external temptation. This, the, the idea here is that there's circumstances that are tempting and trying, and then there's an actual enemy that's tempting and trying, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. But when we think about temptation, we have to ask the question of ourselves, how, how am I experiencing temptation? How are you experiencing temptation now? Maybe for you, you are caught in an addiction of some kind, whether it's pornography, gambling, uh, food, something else. Maybe for you, the way you experience temptation in life is is through depression or anxiety that just constantly leaves you concerned about what's happening with you and blind to everything else that's going on. Maybe you're wondering if your marriage or your friendship is is still worth it and if, if it's even worth it to pray for it anymore. Maybe you're experiencing that difficult road of grief that tends to last not just days but months and years when everyone else seems to move on with their lives. And you're, you're wondering how, how to get through this. 
Maybe you're dealing with different kinds of spiritual attacks and, and you're not even sure how to combat them. But you know that you're in trouble. See, if that's you today, if you're in one of these spots where, where God is showing you how temptation is seeking to rule over you, would you tell somebody about it? Would you talk to a friend, a brother or sister next to you? Would you talk to one of us as pastors after the service? Would you tell someone about it? Because there is great freedom to be found when we confess our sins to one another. When we confess our sins to God, John says that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, sometimes we think we can just handle it. But what that leads to is further enslavement. And God says, if you'll bring it to the light, he's able to bring the freedom you need. And so would you make your prayer today, God, God, lead me not into temptation, not into its grip. Would you be the one who rules in my heart and life? And would you help me to walk in that by your grace? as I confess it to you, as I confess it to other brothers and sisters who can encourage me in my walk with you. And then we need to look at the second part of this that Jesus teaches us to pray, but deliver us from evil. And so first, why, why do we need to pray this? There's three reasons that we need to pray this prayer, but deliver us from evil. The, the first one is that there is evil inside of you. There is sin in you that you need God's power to overcome, that you need his forgiveness for, that you need him to transform you and make you new. Evil is anything and everything that stands in opposition to God and his purposes. Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He prayed for his disciples' growth because he knew there was lingering evil in them. He knew they needed to be cleansed and, and to grow by God's grace. And secondly, there's evil around you. And so I just think about my, my last week and a half, two weeks, where, where Brittany and I watched this amazing joy come in the, in the birth of this, this baby into this family. And, and we saw the greatest joy on our loved ones' faces that we've ever seen. And a day later, we saw the greatest fear and sorrow that we'd ever seen in their lives. And, and the kind of sickness and difficulty and pain that we walk through in this world lets us know that there is evil around us, that it's, it's actually real, that these are not, the pain we feel lets us know that this is not the way it was meant to be. See, evil is around us in the sickness and, and death of those that we care about. Evil is around us in the ens enslavement of millions through the trafficking industry that leads to billions of dollars being made at their expense. Evil is around us in a culture of death that, that led to 879,000 abortions in 2017 and that constantly propagates both covert and overt racism on a regular basis. Evil is around us in the fact that between one-sixth and one-fourth of us in this room will at some point in our lives experience a significant kind of abuse 
whether it be sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, emotional, uh, there's a whole gamut of ways. But that many of us will walk through something that trying in life. See, it's really easy for us to look at our world and, and see that there is evil around us. And, and Jesus prayed this. He said, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Thank God that we have a high priest who prays like that for us. Did you catch that when we sung earlier that Jesus, the Son of God, intercedes for you? That, that even the one who teaches us how to pray prays for us, those who follow him, those who trust in him. And that God, by his own power, is able to keep us in the midst of an evil world where we see evil all around us. That, as Cameron taught us as we sang together, that we can look to you, God. And finally, we, we see that there are, in addition to evil in us and evil around us, there are evil ones against us. C.S. Lewis uh, talked about spiritual beings uh, of evil in this way. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, talking about human beings, can fall about the devils or demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence entirely. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And so I don't know for you individually where you land on that when you think about the devil and demons and spiritual beings that oppose us in life. I don't know where you land, what your temptation is, whether it's to think that it's not really real and they don't really exist and to ignore them entirely or if it's to feel an unhealthy and excessive interest in them and to think they're behind every bush and every cranny. You know, I've gotten to experience some things in a variety of different kinds of churches in life, which I'm really thankful for. And um, some of my charismatic friends, their, their temptation is, is most often towards believing that there's a devil behind every bush. And, and, and they do this to their, own, to their own confusion, leading them to think that every time someone's sick, it's the devil. Every, every time a car stops working, it's a demon. Every, every time they fight with their spouse, it's demonic spiritual forces at work and not their own sin. But as Baptists, I think most often our temptation is the other. Maybe for you, maybe that is part of your temptation, is to think that there's a demon behind everything. But I think a lot of us, our temptation is to think that there's a demon behind nothing that these spiritual forces of evil, that these spiritual beings aren't actually real and that what we can see in life is what's actually real because we can touch it, feel it, and see it, and hear it, and smell it. That's our temptation, is the trust in our senses rather than in God's word, which tells us what is true. See, whenever we look to the scriptures, we, we see that there are spiritual forces at work in line with physical reality. We see in Job that Job is afflicted by all kinds of trials and temptations and, and sickness and ailments. And the whole time, he doesn't know what's happening, but Satan is behind it. 
And God is allowing him to walk through these trials. All the while, Satan is the one responsible for it. And Job has no idea, but he's, he's trusting the Lord and, and fighting this battle for faith with God. And, and all the while, there's these spiritual realities happening that he can't see with his naked eye. And then we think about Elisha, who, who asked God to open the eyes of his companion so that he would see as he's looking on this battlefield and he sees their enemies, he, he prays that God would open their eyes so that, so that he could see how many were with them. Talking about angels, spiritual warriors on behalf of God and his people. And then Jesus, we think about his life and ministry and how often he would, would heal the sick and deliver them from demonic oppression at the same time. See, the physical world and the spiritual world are not as divided as we would like to think they are. It, it makes us comfortable whenever we, whenever we kind of divide them into two separate categories, as though we can just separate them and fit them into neat little boxes. But the reality is, is there's not just evil in us or around us, there is evil against us in the form of Satan and demons, and we have to acknowledge this because the Bible just constantly testifies to it. And so I'll be honest with you, my, my temptation this, this last week is, is to view everything that was happening with my niece through a purely natural lens. My temptation is to, to only consider the medical side of things and what is happening there, and, and we ought to be considering those things, right? Because there are physical medical realities happening. But my temptation is to not even consider that there might be some sort of spiritual reality as well. My temptation is, is often towards that in life. And so I don't know what your temptation is, whether it's to believe that there's a demon behind everything or behind nothing, but there's this place called the Bible that tells us that neither of those things are true and that gives us a lot more hope if we'll trust in it. If we just trust God and take him at his word that there are spiritual beings at work that are out for our destruction, out for our confusion, out for our distraction, and that when we pray but deliver us from evil, we would pray not just against the evil in us or around us, but the evil against us as well. So let's end with this. What, what does it mean to pray this? Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First, we have to recognize that you and I, we need a deliverer. And we need a deliverer because of those three things we just talked about. There's evil in you. There's evil around you. And there is evil against you. We need a deliverer because that's a lot of evil. We need someone who can save us completely who can bring about our freedom and redemption. We, we have to know that, that God has always been this deliverer of his people, that when we, we look at the idea of being delivered from the evil one, and, and some people argue that that is the better translation in verse 13 there, but deliver us from evil, that they say it should be but deliver us from the evil one. I think, I think both ideas can, can be found there, that, that there is evil we need to be delivered from, and there's an evil one we need deliverance from, and, and we see that God is the one who does this. In Genesis 3, we see this idea of deliverance from the evil one promised. God promised a deliverer who would crush the head of the serpent. 
And then from the evil around you, God delivered his people countless times from slavery and exile and trials that they experienced in the circumstances in their life. And then from the evil inside you, and this is where our greatest hope is found, is that God sent his one and only son to be your deliverer, that you might be delivered from the evil in you, that you might be delivered from temptation and sin's grip on your life that you might experience the freedom and the joy that is knowing God through Jesus Christ, the Son. So our response to the Lord's Prayer, in addition to, to praying all these things that Jesus has taught us, is, is to pray that Jesus would deliver us, that he would deliver you, that he would deliver me. So I don't know what you're walking through in life right now. I don't know what sin you're struggling with. I don't know what suffering you're dealing with. But I know that there's a deliverer. And he's taught us how to pray. And so church, would you just bow your heads and pray with me now? We're going to pray this prayer together and then we're going to sing. Father in heaven, We thank you for your great name and we ask that it would be hallowed. It would be lifted high in our lives. God, we ask that your kingdom would come, that your rule would be established in us and on the earth and that your will would be done here as it is in heaven, that you would bring about your plans and purposes. God, we ask that you would give us this day our daily bread, that you would provide for us exactly what we need when we need and that you would help us to trust you for that. God, we pray for forgiveness, knowing that we need it from you and that you're the only one who can provide it to us because of what your son did on the cross. And we ask that that forgiveness would transform us and cause us to forgive those who have wronged us you would give us freedom from our, our grudges and our bitterness. God, we ask that you would lead us not into temptation's grip. God, that you would lead us through temptations and trials and, and help us to rely on your sufficient grace. And God, as we look at the evil that is against us, at the evil that is around us, and God, as we are grieved by the evil that is in us, we pray, deliver us from evil and from the evil one.